welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Well, hello there, Stephanie. Hello, how are you? Good. So are we going to save the world, both of us? Um, yes, together, just you and me. <laughs> I am too tired. Aren't you tired already? I am. Very. I see you with your two girls on Instagram. They're so cute. And I look at all the things that you guys do. And I'm thinking, I, women are incredible. Women are incredible. You can carry the baby, have the baby, do it in high heels, take care of the environment, cook meals. Me and Brad together having kids, we're both so lazy. I'm like, I want to change so much, but yet I'm not able to change what I want to change, especially within my household, which we're going to get to. But okay. I do want to introduce who I'm talking to. I am talking to Stephanie Safarian from the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. She's a mom of two kids and the author of the upcoming book, Sustainable Minimalism. So you're kind of my dream person to talk to. I would need you on speed dial because I get a lot of anxiety about stuff. But I want to start with you say something that you are attempting a slow, minimal life. What does that mean? I like the way it sounds, but what does that mean exactly? <laughs> In one sentence, it means not keeping up with the Joneses to keep up with the Joneses, but to live a life that is more aligned with my values and my priorities. Perfectly put. I love that. I think I'm going to change that to my gravestone. <laughs> I was going to have on my tombstone when I die, um, Rich Arani, never watched enough TV. <laughs> but instead, I think I'm going to put, I think I'm going to put yours. I think that's going to be better. Um, I like that. Can you repeat it one more time for me? Not living up with the Joneses and, and just in, living. And instead living a life that's more aligned with my values and my priorities. I think that's what I said. That is. And I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> Can I ask, how did you get into the whole minimal thing from the beginning? Because I was always a little bit, you know, I was, was artistic and creative and I always liked clean surfaces, but somehow it kind of morphed from that into then really getting more anxiety about things and stuff and coming at, things coming into the house. I'd always scream, it's going in the wrong direction. I don't want you bringing things in, I want out. But it was a slow, it kind of morphed into that. It never really started out as that. It was just more of a visual thing. How did it start for you? Because you take this very seriously. And your podcast, I think, is one of the number one podcasts about minimalism. Thank you. Yes, I do take it seriously. And I should say that prior to becoming a quote unquote minimalist, I would say that stuff didn't seem to bother me. I didn't think about the environment all that much. I was just living my life. And uh, the the thing that really <laughs> opened my eyes, so to speak, was I had a daughter. My husband and I and our dog and our cat were living happily in a 850 square foot apartment. And then the baby came. <laughs> and not just the baby, but all the baby stuff. Hundreds. I'm not, I'm not even joking. I have the best family and friends. Um, they're wonderful, but they gifted hundreds of frilly dresses and the toys and the gear. And I really just overnight felt suffocated in our home. And around that time, I realized also that I'm a mom. I don't have a lot of free time. And that one hour I have to myself, I don't want to be organizing the stuff, cleaning the stuff, spot treating the frilly dresses, finding place to store all the toys, especially when my daughter played more with my pots and pans and wooden spoons than she played with the toys. And so I said, let's be practical about this. Let's work smarter, not harder. Gunner wants to say hi. Say hi, Gunner. Hi, Gunner. Okay, How Stephanie, are you? She's going to teach me things, uh, Gunner, that I'm going to teach you after. Minimalism. Go back to class. <laughs> yeah, go back to class. Minimalism. Yes, minimalism. Um, yeah, so it, so when, the, when you had your baby is when it really heightened. Oh, triggered, yeah. Triggered. Triggered is the better word. Um, my, I feel like just becoming a mother really increased my anxiety to a level where I was like, uh-oh, I need to deal with this. <laughs> and a practical way for me to gain more free time and manage my anxiety was to 
tackle the stuff. And so I started decluttering and I started with her stuff because it's way easier to declutter somebody else's stuff than it right. is to tackle your own. That's true. And I just, you know, looked at it critically. Do I need a hundred frilly dresses? She's wearing onesies all day long. Like what is right. the point of these things? But when and you think about it, Stephanie, that's kind of the least of it. Then all of a sudden the toys start coming in and then, you know, I've got a huge family and God bless them. They're so sweet. They give the kids tons of toys and suddenly all this plastic junk is coming into the house and I have an aversion to plastic that it it really gives me anxiety like that gives me anxiety plastic so when I see the toys coming in I don't know what to do I mean I, I started doing my kids are six and a half now and I always whenever I have a party I always say no gifts please I just say no gifts I don't say donate to charity who the hell cares just don't bring a gift no gifts necessary your attendance is our gift you know that's what I like to say only because I don't know where to put everything I don't know where to put. So how do you remain? How does one become a minimalist with children? They need toys to play with. You need them out of your hair. They need stuff, stuff. And it accumulates. Like I'm still trying to get rid of stuff from three, four years ago. And Brad said, well, she plays with that a couple of times a week. It keeps her busy. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Learn, teach her how to do the taxes or clean the toilets. That'll keep her busy. <laughs> You're hilarious. Uh, yeah, there are some strategies that I use that work for me in my house with my daughters. And I know that what works for me is not going to work for every household. But the biggest thing that I advocate for, well, first of all, I advocate for being the gatekeeper, which means as the parent, as the mother, I get to decide at the end of the day what comes in and what comes out. So um, we're not getting, we're not stopping at the treasure chest at the dentist's office for a cheap plastic toy. I don't believe that my children need to get a reward for sitting in the chair at the dentist. Um, I, if we, if we go to a birthday party and there's a bag of, you know, a goodie bag, uh, if we can slip out that door without the Wade, goodie bag, we're that's sleeping, we sleeping out. Like We don't need the stuff. The kids are going to play with it for five minutes. Right. Then it's either going to break because it's junk or junk. they're going to be bored. And then it's on me to find some, some responsible way to dispose of it. So being the gate, gatekeeper is number one by far. I uh, decide if something is worthy of entering my home. And when I make that decision, I know that when I let something in, I am then also in charge somewhere down the line of having to pass it on or get rid of it. So that's the first thing. Oh, okay. Go Continue. ahead. No, you no, Okay. Ahead. So that's the first thing. Okay. Now that seems like it could be more attainable for people. The problem that I have more than anything is I have twins that are now six and a half. You have two daughters. How old are they? Almost seven and almost four. Okay. So same age of one of them and almost four. So same thing as you. I go to school to pick them up, especially in kindergarten and pre-K and first grade. They hand you bags. Now I've got two the same age. So I go to one classroom. They hand a bag of um, drawings, of things that they made, sculptures, painting, hand, a whole bag of that. And then I smile. I take the bag. And then I go to Gunner and I take the other bag and I look at her. I go, is there a garbage close by? I just want to take it literally from the, the classrooms and dump it into the garbage. But I don't want to hurt my kids' feelings. And that drives me crazy. So what I do is I always tell Brad, let's leave it out for them. And then we hide it near the garbage, not in the garbage. So we leave it near the garbage for a couple of days. And if they don't ask where it is, it goes in the garbage. So that's kind of what I do, but it doesn't end. Stephanie, just when I think I've done it, they come home with crazy stuff. I mean, they came home with menorahs for Hanukkah. I mean, they're huge. They're, you know, silly. We have a hundred of them and Brad and there would, but there would. Okay. But still, and Brad wants to keep everything. He's sentimental, which we'll get to later because he's a borderline hoarder and comes from a hoarding <laughs> family. So we're going to get to that after, but he wants to keep stuff. He's so sentimental. And I tell him, Brad, what are you going to do when they were born, when they were one years old, he wanted to take them to have their footprints and handprints done. I, I, I told him there's no way I'm forbidding this. This is not happening. This goes against everything I believe in. I said, what are they, what are you going to do with that? You're going to hand, you're going to send them off to college with that. They're going to carry that shit around for the rest of their life. <laughs> Who the hell wants to deal with that? Listen, my mother passed away. I bought her the most beautiful gifts and beautiful clothes. I was dying to keep so much. And then I kept remembering the memory is in my brain. I don't need all the stuff. And so I'm trying to tell him don't, 
allow yourself to get roped into all this that sooner or later you're going to have to do something with, either throw it out or give it to them. Yeah, you and I are definitely on the same page. I feel like I need to talk to Brad. <laughs> yes, she needs to talk to Brad. I'm going to tell Brad about how when I moved into my house, my mother handed me uh -huh. a gigantic 40-pound plastic tote filled with my art from my 18 yeah. years of living with her. Mm -hmm. And I would tell Brad that, you know, I had no emotional attachment to any of those handprints. I didn't want them. <laughs> and my mom didn't want them either. And that's she why she stuck them. them in the box. Yeah. <laughs> So all the stuff you did as a baby, she handed over to you because she didn't want it. And then you don't want it anymore. Like who the hell wants to carry off to college, their first apartment, all this junk? Not me. Yeah. And not me either. I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to take it out of the bag when the teacher hands it to me. That's how bad I am. <laughs> My anxiety gets so crazy that I am just, you know, I don't even want to see it. So, okay. So I want to give you a couple of scenarios that I've kind of come across I go to, I have a large family. I go to a lot of, um, you know, their homes for whatever the reason is, entertaining or whatever. This was before COVID. When I go to certain houses, I notice that, you know, they want to entertain beautifully. So they have these beautiful plastic plates and there's about 30, 40 people there. So, you know, sometimes people will take two plates or, so there's a lot of plastic plates and they're beautiful. And they put them, and I notice, I walk by and I see them thrown into a big plastic bag to just be thrown out after just one use of using the plastic. That, I mean, I can't control that, but it really, it kills me. How does somebody that wants to entertain, that has a small kitchen, but they wanna entertain nicely, how does somebody like that entertain nicely without destroying the environment and leaving plastic on the landfill for the next 700 years? So I have a couple answers to that. The first one is when I, I love entertaining. I, it is, the happiest thing in my life to fill my house with the people I love, my friends, my family. And I really don't use plastic ever because I have a dishwasher. I'm totally fine with sticking, even if it's a holiday, I'm fine with sticking the china in, <laughs> in the dishwasher. I'm using it once a year. Uh, it's not gonna get ruined in that one dishwasher use. And the other thing about when you're having a holiday or entertaining is you have a lot of willing people willing to do the dishes. So if you are the type of person who can delegate and say, maybe I'm not doing the dishes today, but you could just do them, then that's fine. If you are the type of entertainer who, uh, no way, I'm not using real dishes. I hear that. It's hard to entertain. We don't want to add something else onto our plate. But I would say that there are so many products on the market, disposable products that are compostable. And so, you know, you, you wouldn't then put the compostable plate in the plastic bag because that would defeat the purpose. But um, the, the, the benefit to 2021 living an eco-friendly lifestyle is that the innovation is at our fingertips. So we don't have to rely on the pretty plastic plates that are gonna take 800 years to decompose in the landfill. We could purchase a more eco-friendly option. Okay, great. And I love what you just said because it's true. And you actually answered my next question. We use um, the bamboo plates and the bamboo forks. And the reason why is not that we mind uh, washing dishes, but sometimes I don't have 40 glass plates and, you know, clean them as people need them. So I get the bamboo plates and I make them look great. I get, you know, burlap, you know, napkins. I make it into kind of a theme, which is great. And we know how to compost those. But then I find that I go to other people's homes and they think they're doing something great. And then they put it in the plastic bag. And I don't want to be that guy that's going to be, you know, telling everyone what to do or how to correct them. So I just don't say anything, but they trying, but it's all counterproductive. Yeah, I think it also, it's important to consider who you're talking to. I mean, if, if you're at the home of somebody who is genuinely trying to do better and you think that you could gently suggest another way in a way that would be receptive to the person you're talking to, then I say go for it. But if you're not talking to somebody who's receptive, you're just going to come off as like a curmudgeonly right. <laughs> guest. Right. But that's a good point. I think that you're right. I think that if they are buying the bamboo plates and they're using them, they obviously want to do the right thing and they're trying to, you know do it correctly. And I should probably let them know to do it the right way. Yeah. Okay. So you have this book coming out. So it's funny, we made a joke and I said, you know what, I'm going to ask her about this because I've been in the same situation as you, you have a book coming out and it's going to be on Amazon. I mean, 
and I'm just playing kind of devil's advocate. What about, don't you find you're cluttering the world a little with the book? So yeah, I would, (laughs) anybody listening. Okay, I love you, you do. Good, thank you, respect to you. (laughs) It's hard to come out with a physical product and not clutter the world. Um, And another thing I talk about all the time on my podcast is why we should not be relying on Amazon. And here I am with a book and I'm pushing it on Amazon, so. I agree. I mean, it's, it's hard. I guess I would just say, Hey there, audiobook. Hey there, Kindle. Uh, <laughs> hey there, library. Um, so now I'm worse than you. I so <laughs> respect your answer because I design shoes. Now I was designing shoes with acrylic heels and they were beautiful, but I'm in the high fashion market. I have very small stores, small boutiques. I traveled to uh, Paris, to Italy. And at some point I started designing shoes and I needed stuff that were different. I love these acrylic heels. Without thinking, you know, I was so overwhelmed with business and design that I wasn't thinking. I think it was there in the back of my head, but I didn't want to broach the subject because I was afraid they were going to say they're not eco-friendly at all, which it turns out they're not. So what does that say about me? I produced these heels for a couple of seasons because I love them. And it did. It killed me. They weren't plastic. They were acrylic, but same nonsense, same nonsense. But shoes in general are hard to, you know, recycle. You have to just kind of keep selling them to other people and trickle down. Stephanie, where's all this garbage going to go? The landfill. <laughs> but soon it's the, there's not going to be enough room in the landfill. I'm going to walk out of my house and I'm going to have to climb over it to get to the car or to it's get like, the kids. I mean, I'm yeah. so scared. Where is all this garbage going? You live in Boston, Massachusetts, right? Yes. Okay. I live in New York City. Right now we're in the country in New Jersey. We go to the Hamptons sometimes. When we drive around, there are certain days where you see the garbage filled up. I mean, when I tell you garbage, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about these huge houses that have maybe 20 big, huge bags sitting on each house. You drive, I guess they're waiting for the garbage to pick it up. And I just say, where is all this going to go? This can't continue indefinitely. Yes. Landfill space, I think is what you're referring to. And soon our neighborhoods are going to be the landfill space. Well, here in Boston, um, the Harbor Islands are essentially a dumps, which they put (laughs) grass on top of, and they look totally unnatural, but that is um, people of the past garbage. And I think a bigger problem to discuss beyond landfill space is what happens to our stuff in landfills. People just assume that our discarded junk, our discarded shoes and clothes and toys, um, you know, they're benign once they're in the landfill, but that's actually not true. Our stuff, as it decomposes in this area without light, without oxygen, it produces, and without getting too technical, but it produces methane. And methane is an extremely potent and powerful greenhouse gas. So essentially, the takeaway is the more we're throwing away, the more we're the more we are contributing to global warming. Okay, so now <clears throat> I don't like throwing things away. You know, everything for the kids that I don't want to throw away. I have anxiety. I always say, Brad, we got to get rid of this. What do I do? What do I do? You know, he'll say, so throw it away. I go, I'm not throwing it away. I mean, I want to give it to someone. Just nobody wants it. Nobody wants the junk. I don't know what to do with it. So I did find a place um, in New York. It's um. Housing Works, no, not Housing Works takes fancy stuff that we want to give away. What, what is it that I go to? Salvation Army. So I drop off some bags of stuff, but you have to be careful. You know, New York City, if you go there with three, four, five bags of junk, they're going to be like, hold it right there. So I have to keep going back, giving them a couple of bags at a time. But yeah, I don't know what to do with um, all of this plastic and how to give it away. How does one get rid of it? Aside, we already know we can dump it in the trash, which, you know, is a terrible idea. Is there another way to get rid of it? I would say it depends on the item. Actually, way back when I started my blog, it was a blog to uh, catalog all the different resources that I found to take specific stuff. And a musical instrument, let's say, could go to Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation, whereas athletic shoes could go to Nike to make new tracks for to run on. So I think it depends depends on the what specific thing. Um, I'm but- talking about plastic toys that oh. found its way into my home, you know, little cash registers and all these plastic toys that it just, I don't know what to do. I just have to bite the bullet. You know, you know this, 
I'm sure your kids are lovely. Mine are not. I'm kidding. They are. <laughs> They're lovely. My, my kids are amazing. But I will say, I just at a certain point, I have to stop caring. I cannot care about everything. I care about so much. And it's funny because my nephew, who I work with and I'm very close to, said, this is ruining your life. We'll have lunch in the office. And when I get takeout, I get from a vegan place called Candle Cafe. I'm not a vegan, but I get food from there because I like it. I eat fish, but they're a complete vegan restaurant, which I love. And they give you all this compostable stuff, but I have to, you know, we're in a meeting and we're both having lunch and then I have to get up and clean it all. So I get up and clean it because I want to reuse it and save it. And he screams, enough already. We have work to do. Just throw it out. That's why they give it to you. The obsession sometimes holds me back from doing other things that might be more important. I hear you. And I think what you're touching on here is eco-anxiety, which is a (laughs) defined issue disorder by uh, the American Psychological Association. Eco-anxiety is essentially like what you're talking about and anxiety that you have over environmental issues. And I guess. Is there a pill for it? I want to know. Is there a pill for it? I, I love that you put a label because <laughs> you have it too. She put you, you put a label on it. Eco anxiety. I love it. I love that you put a name. I actually have it. Let's add it to the list of all the other things I have. Yeah. <laughs> I would just tell, say to you that um, a lot of people struggle with these conundrums. And at the end of the day, it's just doing the best you can do. No, you, nobody expects you to be perfect. Um, just just doing the best you can within the season of life that you're in and feel good about it. I love you, Stephanie. You're actually, are you giving me the okay? I can just <laughs> do the best. Can I just do the best that I can do? Cause I can't wind up in the hospital. Sometimes when I see all of that, I feel like, oh my goodness, this is it. This is how I'm gonna die. This is it. I'm just watching all this. This is how I'm gonna die. Not from a heart attack from like my father. It's just from watching all of this plastic and garbage that's being thrown at me. One of the best things I did You know, before me and Brad had kids many years ago, we lived on 61st Street and I used to get bottled water, smart water delivered to the um, to the to the apartment. And, you know, of course, I'd have to get what, uh, two or three dozen. So I wouldn't have to go. Sometimes I'd have to go get them myself, carried up the steps. And then I finally decided and this is when the anxiety started happening with all the plastic. I just got a water filter one water filter that I've had for what already 17 years. I mean, I might have changed it once but I just use a water filter and I've turned my friends onto that because people are lugging water bottles, just little water bottles and all the bottles are just everywhere. So we just live with a water cooler, with a water, um, um, what is it called? Filter, a water filter we put in the refrigerator. It's clean, it's neat. We refill it, change the filter, whatever. And if it doesn't work, okay, we'll get cancer. It'll work. And don't you You're going to get like- cancer anyway because there's carcinogens in the plastic. I know. It's, coming from, just- it's coming from trucks from what, a million miles away. It's going from 150 degree heat to the freezing cold. So either way, you're not safe either way. Either way, we're doomed. Right. Either way, you're doomed. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that was probably one of the best things that I think I did. And I'm trying to find more tricks like that. Like when I buy stuff for the kids when I have to. I look for eco-friendly. And then of course they're big wood things and just, it still bothers me. I I don't want anything. Stephanie, I don't want anything. Brad, now we're going to get to this now. Clutter. Talk to me how somebody that already has clutter can declutter in a way that's not so anxiety ridden, in a way that might be a little bit easier. How would one start to declutter a home that they feel they have a lot? Great question. I get this question all the time. And my suggestion is to break your house into small manageable chunks. So in my book, the chapter on decluttering has 52 common household areas and they're small, like one week you're just, so 52, one week uh, for every week of the year, one week you're decluttering your bed stand and that's it for the whole week. And then another week you're tackling um, your athletic gear, like your skis or your snowshoes or whatever it might be for the whole week. That's all you're worrying about. So you're taking a gigantic, gigantic anxiety producing job, and you're breaking it into 52 small and manageable chunks. I highly recommend that. I love that once a week, 52 weeks in a year, once a week, you really have it down pat. That's great. Why do you think that people think they need so much stuff? Why do people think they need so much stuff? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I think about this a lot. And um, 
I think it comes down to our society, what our culture tells us more is best, less is not in our culture. Having stuff is a sign of success. I think part of it is the unintentionality. We're just buying that second home because our neighbors have a second home. We're buying that fancy or new special car because we think we're in the season of life in which we're supposed to have that. But another big part to it is advertisements, uh, targeted ads now on the internet. I mean, we are, I wish I had the statistic in front of me with how many ads the average American sees every day, but it is, it is a staggering amount. We physically cannot escape all the language telling us that we need more to be prettier, to be healthier, to be smarter. We need more, more, more. And it always comes when you purchase. I noticed that, you know, from being in the retail business and, um, you know, I wasn't, you know, we carried expensive shoes and we still carry expensive designer stuff. So the kind of stuff that we sell is the kind of thing it's not a really so whimsical. You know, if you're going to spend four or five, six hundred dollars on a pair of shoes, you have to think it out. It's not something you toss in the garbage the next day. You can resell them. There are a lot of these websites that resell your old stuff. But I will say that people just buy things to make themselves feel better for the moment. They think it makes them feel better for the moment. Yeah. Like for me, it's the actually other way around. Even if I actually need something, I like the our carpet in New York City. It's a sisal carpet. We brought it from the other apartment. We cut it to fit, you know, raw. And it looks great. It actually looks cooler because it's cut. But now it's kind of all raggedy. We know that we're going to move at some point. I don't know. It could be three months or six months. The carpet's driving me crazy. But yet, and I know we need one, but I don't want to get one. I just don't want to get another carpet. What am I going to do with this? It's so big. It's huge. It's like a 12 by 12. Yeah, I definitely hear like people tie their self-worth or their happiness to their stuff. That has long been found in research and in research literature. Uh, you know, when we're down, we buy stuff. We tend to. Some people buy more than others. Some people like you perhaps don't at all. But um, advertisers, marketers, they know this about us. They know that if they can tap into our emotion, uh, they're going to sell more product. And so it's on us as consumers to really get to the root of why we're buying something and especially why we want to buy something that we don't necessarily need in that moment. Right. And I don't want to mislead you for you to think that I don't like stuff. I like stuff. My problem is I like expensive stuff and I like few stuff. I like few very good things that I keep forever because I do, I like stuff. You know, I don't buy everything that I love, but I do like stuff. I mean, I drive, you know, a decent car, but I buy it used. You know, I buy my cars used. I don't buy them new for a few reasons. One of them is I don't want to buy another new car. I'd rather just recycle an old car. And second, I love trashing it. I love driving mm -hmm. over, you know, sidewalks and I, I don't have to feel guilty doing that. So yeah, I do like my, my nice things. I'm not going to try to mislead you, but uh, the other side is I get anxiety. At some point it's got to end. I'm not worried about myself, but now with the kids, it's like, I keep trying to tell them, you know, guys, we don't need it, but she has it, but he has it. And, you know, part of my podcast, I always talk about the grass is not always greener. You have to put your best foot forward and one size doesn't fit all, which is what I love what you said earlier. You said something that you do, but doesn't really work for everyone. Everyone has to do what's comfortable for them, you know, but do something like if you can do something that's comfortable for you, like me switching to a water filter was a great move. I can't do everything because it'll drive me crazy and run my life. I don't want to torture my family. So I'm trying to do the best that I can do. Getting to my point of the grass is not always greener and everybody wants, my kids want what their friends have. I tell them, just keep your eyes on your own paper. Don't look at them. Keep your eyes on your own paper. And I tell them at home, even if they complain with each other, Grace and this guy, I go, keep your eyes on your own paper. You have to keep saying it over and over and over for it to get through. But Stephanie, it's tiring. It is tiring. I love that. Keep your eyes on your own paper. I used to be a teacher. <laughs> I use that all the time in the classroom. In my house, I have a similar mantra. When my six and a half year old says, you know, why can't she have an iPad like her friend or whatever the thing is that she wants. My mantra is in this family, we do things differently. End story. You know, we don't 
buy so much of the latest and the greatest. Instead, you know, when it's not COVID, we'll go on a great family vacation around Christmas. That's that's what we do in this family. We prioritize experiences over stuff. Right. And it is tiring to keep saying it. And I anticipate becoming even more tired as she gets older and the comparison game just increases, but I'm just going to keep saying it. Yeah. And you could even use mine. Keep your eyes on your own paper. Cause that really, they can't say anything to that. Keep your eyes on your own paper. I also want to ask, have you watched the show get organized with the home edit? It's on Netflix. I haven't, but a lot of people have recommended it to me. It's on my list. I'm just trying, I'm still trying to get through Queen's Gambit. So I'll put it on uh, next. <laughs> I can't wait to watch Queen's Gambit. It's on my, it's on my list. Yeah, I know it's hard to get through, right? It's, it's hard to get through with the kids. I say on my podcast, by the time the day's over, they leave me for dead. I'm dead. They left me for dead. It's like, and it almost feels like they're not happy unless they know they left us for dead. Like they want to make sure they're not missing anything. So they start doing jumping jacks. All of a sudden they start speaking Russian. Since when did you speak Russian? Oh, you're so cute. You're so this. I'm like, they want to make sure that when they sleep, we are not having any fun. And that's what- Yeah, why do they have so much energy at bedtime? Like I, they were- so tired all day long. They couldn't get dressed. They couldn't do this. But now at bedtime, all of a sudden, they've got like the energy of the Energizer Bunny. Why is that? I don't know. It's the million dollar question. I've had to discuss that with my shrink. And he goes, are you sure this is what you want to discuss here? You know, and I knew what he meant. I mean, how much am I paying him to discuss this? He goes, maybe you want to discuss that with somebody else. But getting back to the show, it's funny because I watched the show with Brad because he likes that kind of stuff. It just seemed like a fluffy fancy show that is, you know, just trying to, I'm sure the girls are talented and I'm sure they're great organizers, but it's just, you know, that one of the first people was Reese Witherspoon. So, I mean, first of all, to watch them go into Reese Witherspoon's empty mansion that she just built and, and put all her clothes from her Oscars in space that has never been touched before, brand new. I mean, what's so great? They're merchandisers. I mean, I can do that. I've been doing that in my shops forever. So, you know, when I watched that episode, it wasn't so impressive. I liked watching Reese Witherspoon. It was fun, but it wasn't that impressive. You know, when you see them go into spaces and and do it, but it just seems more like a fluffier version of what you do. Like to me, you're kind of the real deal. Thank you. You're the real (laughs) deal, which is why I wanted to talk to you because I mean, I'm not the real deal. I mean, I want to be the real deal. You know, I've said before, before I had kids, I must have been depressed because I used to say, Pat, when I die, let the whole world blow up, let it go to shit. I don't care. But, you know, I, I, my mom was sick also at the time. So that's why I went through this angry and, you know, time. But after I had my children, I'm now so concerned about everything. I'm so concerned about everything. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want them to be, you know, anxiety ridden about the things that I am anxiety ridden about. I hear that. Do yeah. you find that you pass it on to your children? I try hard not to. Um, my, you know, my kids, like your kids, they're too young to hear about doom and gloom, environmental issues. But I do think it's important to um, teach them some important self-sufficient skills without the doom and gloom attached to it. Like we are a big composting family. My six and a half year old can sort her composting (laughs) just fine. Um, My three and a half year old still working on it, but I do try and instill like just some eco-friendly aspirations in them, you know. Okay, so for people, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the composting, for people that want to compost, can you maybe give us a little bit, um, give us a little lesson on how we would wanna, how somebody would compost? Sure, yeah. Well, I would say first that if you have never done any, thing eco-friendly if you don't consider yourself an environmentalist you might not want to start with composting because I would consider that to be like a big leap into the lifestyle you might want to start simpler by I don't know bringing bags to the grocery store (laughs) reusable bags but if you are interested in composting it is a sort of your trash so if you know how to recycle I always say you know how to compost because when you recycle you're sorting out the recyclables you're putting them in a different bin and you're essentially creating less trash because you're recycling some. Same with composting. You're going to put to the side fruit scraps, vegetable scraps, eggshells, weird stuff like hair or lint. Or if you want to get crazy, you can put a compost bin in your um, bathroom and collect like 
nail clippings. I'm not that crazy, but you could be if right. you want. It's really just um, produce. But let's start scraps. easy. Okay, great. So let's start easy. Produce and vegetable scraps. Yep. Put them aside. Separate them. Yep. Um, if you have a backyard, you're going to buy a outdoor composting bin. I prefer a tumbler. It's like a big circle sphere thing with a handle and you crank it. So you just shove your stuff in it. It's really it that simple. Okay. Does it make the backyard smell? No, no, no. Cause you're not putting in meat. You're not putting in cheese. You're not putting in anything that's going to rot in a smelly way. Um, it doesn't smell at all. I would say that the tumbler is not all that aesthetically pleasing to look at. So you don't want to put it like out your window. You might want right. to put it off to the side. Um, but then to get a little bit more complex with it, if you wanted to, you don't have to, you'll then also put in dry leaves, grass clippings, grass, excuse me, grass clippings from your yard, um, those types of things to speed up the composting process. Right. And if you have a garden in six months to eight months, as long as it's hot, you need heat to compost, um, you will have fresh loam for your garden, for your flower beds. It's amazing. And I will say that composting, you know, it has this aura around of like super crunchy, super difficult. It's not, it's the easiest thing in the world. And once we started composting in my house, that's when I saw a real reduction in how much trash we make. Wow. Now my friend in New York city would walk her compost to a place that, you know, she would literally save it and then walk it to a place. I mean, that's really dedication. You know, here uh, we have the sink. What is it? The garbage disposal? Like, do you have a garbage disposal? No. Um, if you did, would you use it for the, for that kind of trash? No, because Why? essentially what a garbage disposal is, is just taking your food making it into really small bits so that it can go down the drain. And then <laughs> when it gets to the water treatment plant, all those little bits, I'm, I can tell by your face. I'm really- I want to cry. You can tell by my face. Oh my God. I'm never going to do anything right. I'm never, anything, anything I think I'm doing right turns out to be wrong. So yes, it makes sense because the reason why it's bothering me is because it makes sense. I'd rather hear something that I can go, ah, eh, that makes no sense. It makes sense. So it's going into the water stream. But and then when it gets to the water treatment plant, there's going to be a bunch of little pieces that they're going to take and they're going to throw it in the trash. So, so it winds up there anyway. Yeah. And it reroutes through the water. Have but I will say that I did have a garbage disposal growing up and it was lovely. <laughs> it is. I mean, we have it. I use it. I think it's so great. I'm like, oh, great. I don't have to deal with composting. Not that I think I would now. I'm not that crazy. I would do it if somebody else did it for me. You know, here's the thing, Stephanie. I would do everything if somebody would do it for me. It's the doing it that is the annoying part for me. I'm too busy trying to get the clutter out of the house. I'm the main person in this house that puts everything away. Like I come home from work and the kids run up to the thing. They hear the gate and they run up and I'm like, hi. And then I look around and I see like mail on the counter, a box from, I'm like one second. And I have to like, I put things away. I'm a put away person because I can't stand anything in my face. I'm a minimalist. Have you ever seen the, the, the show Hoarders? That is one of the best shows I think. <laughs> on TV. I have seen it many times. Many yeah. times. That's a great show because that's the real deal again. People are going in and they're really saving people. I mean, that's not fake. They go. And I know people like that. I'm going to tell you something. And Brad's sitting here. He's going to be annoyed that I'm outing his family. He once sent a video when he went to go visit his family in Ohio. They sent a video of all of them saying hello to me. Now, mind you, when I take a video of me, I am always looking around me to see, okay, what's behind me. I mean, I don't have crack pipes. I'm not worried about, you know, drugs or anything. I don't do any of that, but I just want to make sure there's not like an empty bottle or any kind of junk. They are literally all sitting around the, him. He has a twin brother, his, his parents, and they're going, Hey, Rich, we're here in Ohio. And I couldn't even hear because they were sitting around the dining room that had books, stacks of books and papers all over. And I was noticing that there was stuff everywhere. Yeah. That's You're cool. a total um, aesthetic minimalist. You don't want to see your stuff. Like you want it in the drawers. You want it. I want it out really, hidden. but no, oh, but I want, want it out. out of the house. I want everything out of the house, but whatever we do have, I don't want to see. So what would you call somebody that reroutes? So me and Brad are together 20 years and he used to come home from work 
and go through the garbage. I didn't know this because I used to take, you know, he's an industrial designer and he loves things. He loves things. He calls himself like an artsy hoarder, you know, because we, you know, he uses it for something down the line, you know, like one day he'll need it. So I once threw away a little rubber vase. It was a rubber vase. Really, we didn't use it. It did nothing. But he liked the fact that it was seamless and rubber. I just threw it in the garbage, which was wrong of me to throw it in the garbage. But I did. He came home and he pulled it out. And then I didn't know he pulled it out until a month later. He would always come home and go through the trash and take the things that I put and put it back out. But I actually changed him a little. He saw how crazy I was getting from the clutter and the things he was bringing in, that he's kind of appeased, he appeases me by putting things away. But the problem, Stephanie, is he reroutes them. So he makes me think he cleaned up, but then I'll go to the basement and I'll open a closet or a room and I see everything piled up to the ceiling. And I'm like, that doesn't help me. I want it out. I'm you and I need to like go get a cup of coffee together because we are cut from the same cloth. My husband reroutes all the time. He wants to, you know, I think that eco-friendliness and minimalism, there's a spectrum, right? And we all fall on different places of that spectrum. I want the stuff out. If I, it's, if I'm not using it currently, if I can't envision using it in the future, I'd rather pass it along now to somebody who could and would love on it because I'm not, but my husband is of the mentality that we need to save that. I mean, especially something that he believes is useful or valuable. And it is a, I mean, I would love to help you and give you and Brad some marriage advice, but like, I, I'm struggling over here with the exact same problem. There's a lot of contention in my marriage, especially this drives me absolutely nuts when I throw something out and my husband takes it out of the trash. That is just- So wait, your husband is Brad. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> That's crazy. So your husband is Brad. He does, he takes stuff out of the garbage. He reroutes them. What do we call a rerouter? Is that still considered a hoarder? We're going to call them annoying. That's Yeah, annoying. I like, I like that. That's a good <laughs> way. I like that. Because, you know, like there are so many phrases for everything. There's hoarder, collector. There's, you know- people that are addicted to buying, like, you know, they can't stop shopping. Then there's minimalists and Brad calls himself an artist. And then there's the boy scout, you know, like they need everything. We're going to need it one day. You know, we're going to keep the rope. We're going to keep the tent. We're going to keep everything that we're never going to use. I don't know. So it's like a rerouter. We're just going to call the rerouter annoying because it is annoying. What do you think about people that say things like politically that, you know, we shouldn't have kids because of the environment. Until we clear up the environment, people should stop having kids. I think people should not make blanket statements about what other people should do. <laughs> you heard that, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. If you didn't hear that, we're gonna say that again. Don't make blanket statements. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hear stuff like that and, it's, and, it, and it turns me off of the whole, see, here's the problem. You talk to a vegan. Oh God. They're screaming, screaming from the rooftops. Ah, nobody should eat meat, killing slaughter. They're going about it the wrong way. You know, I always say, if you want to kind of be a business person, why don't we kind of stop screaming? Why don't we just make it a little bit more difficult? Let's create laws that make it more difficult to make cheap meat and, you know, have these animals running without heads just to fill it. Why don't we just minimalize the the quantity of meat that people are gonna buy? So if you want meat, it's more expensive and have regulations on how we can sell meat. And let's take it from there. You know, maybe, because there's no way you're gonna get the world to stop eating meat. There's no way you're gonna get a country to stop eating meat. That You can't even get one person, a whole family to stop. I know people that where the wife is a vegan, the husband is not, the kids don't wanna be. So I guess what my point is, these are two, these are blanket statements that don't really accomplish anything. They don't accomplish. I feel like they're more divisive than they are anything. And that's where I have the problem is where people make blanket statements for their agenda and it winds up just dividing people and dividing the country. Do you agree with that? Yeah. What's the saying? I always get it wrong, but you'll get more bees with honey. Yeah. Right? You'll catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. Yeah. So uh, when we say what people shouldn't do or why you should do things a different way, you're shutting down the conversation right then and there. The person that you're talking to is tuning out, right? So 
if we could maybe flip the script and talk about you know, little perhaps steps um, instead of gigantic ones, meeting people where they're at and trying to make eco-friendliness more inclusive instead of exclusive, that has to be the starting point in my opinion. I agree. I think that's a great point. You know, me and Brad, we used to make parties all the time. We haven't in a while, but um, we used to have birthday parties all the time in New York City. And um, even though I eat fish and very occasionally I eat chicken, I used to be a vegan, but somebody said, that's how you're going to go bold. And of course, you know, I grabbed that chicken alive because, you know, the vanity is, it, it supersedes anything. But so I was, a, I wasn't really a vegan. I was, I didn't eat any meat at all. I was just a fish and that was it. But then I started incorporating a little bit of chicken because I was afraid just in case that was true, that without <laughs> chicken, I was going to lose my hair. My whole family's bold. I was like, okay, I'm having a little once a week. But when we entertained in, in, in the house, we would do all vegan. Not because I was a vegan. I wasn't a, a, a vegan. But when I felt when I was dealing with 30, 40 people in a house, I didn't like the idea of piling up it just doesn't look, it looks gluttonous. It looks a little gross. So we would just do a huge vegan table and people, you know, had all these eating either allergies or, you know, whatever, you know, the way they like to eat. It was safe. It was safe. You can eat whatever you want. There's no, there was no cheese. There was no anything, but everything looked like, you know, pizzas made with, you know, little baby pizzas made with cashew cheese or, you know, soy skewers that would look like a beef. You know, and everything was was good. I mean, I did, obviously didn't make it myself. We had a caterer come in and do it, but you know, you do it in a nice way. So I get what you're saying. In a small way, you could not necessarily have to worry about every minute of your life being eco-friendly. But if you look at the big picture, if people can look at a bigger picture, I think that can maybe be more helpful. You know, maybe once in a while, sometimes. Yeah, uh, I love the 80-20 rule, right? Like if you break down any amount of time, let's say your life, if 80% of your life, you're, you know, doing your best and doing what works for you, uh, then that's great. Then you just forget about that 20%. If you're talking about veganism, if you're over the course of a week, if 80% of your meals are vegan and that feels right for you, then just go ahead and forget about that 20% because perfection, nobody's perfect. And uh, so <laughs> we need to revere the journey and the progress and let go of the possibility of perfection. I agree. I like that because, and I'm going to tell you why I like that. I like that because I don't believe in extremism in any capacity. I mean, not with religion, not with eating habits, not with working out. You know, and I have friends that go through the paleo diet, the no sugar diet. For a second, I feel a little bit, should I be doing that? I always get that second guessing myself, like maybe I should do the no sugar. I don't want anything that I can't sustain for a very long time. You know, I don't like anything. I don't like anything in its extreme you know what I'm saying? I don't yeah. like anything extreme. So I, I, I agree. I like the 80-20 because it allows you to be human and still make the world a better place, treat your body better and everything. And I also feel it lasts longer. Yeah. You, the, the extreme diets, the extreme lifestyles, they get all the attention like, oh, uh, what's the new one? Intermittent fasting, right? Like yes. they, they get all the, the hype, but it's the slow and steady that wins the race, right? Right. But do you think they also do it because it, it gets attention? I think it gets attention. So people Probably. blog about it, Instagram about it, which, you know, I've discussed, I always discuss, I'm not a big Instagrammer. I'm not a big, you know, I don't like engaging so much with people. <laughs> you know, I remember I don't, when they made me go on Instagram, my, my, my producer and my nephew who I work with, they're like, you have to go on Instagram. And then at one point they said, you have to start responding. So I'm like, I didn't know what to do. So I'd say one thing to someone and then they'd respond back and I'd look at my phone and throw it. I'd go like, what do they want? This is, it felt so intrusive to me. I'm not used to it. I'm not from that generation. I know. I, my, don't look at my Instagram. Mine's ugh, terrible. I can't. I looked at it already. I loved it. <laughs> Which by the way, you had a tea. What was it? Needle tea? You were drinking? A pine needle tea. Oh, yes. What is pine needle tea? I want to do. Tell me what that is. It is taking green pine needles and steeping them in warm water or hot water, but not boiling water yeah. for however long and drinking it. It is an incredible source of vitamin C. So, okay, but give me it the tastes vision. pretty good. Great. I, well, I, I'm a green tea drinker all day long, all day. I'm a green tea, but tell me what can pine needle tea do for my looks? <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> 
I don't know. Uh, Come on, maybe... tell me. You live forever. Do you have your full head of hair? Tell no me wrinkles. What... That's what it's no, Okay, do. good. All right. Okay. So there you go. I got it. It burns fat. <laughs> it's got to have something physical for me. Everything yeah. I do has to have a physicality. You know, well, I, you did mention your hair earlier, and I just want to compliment it. It's oh, uh, well, thank you for listen. It's gone by the minute. Every night there's a few <laughs> strands leaving. I have a deal with God, please, just till I die. Just keep, let me have some. Just keep me with some. <laughs> uh, so I want to ask you another question. And there are two words in this question I'm so uncomfortable with, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to ask it anyway. What is a period panty? <laughs> I mean, I know, listen, I'm a guy, but I'm sure women are listening. So I, I don't like either one of those words. Okay. Let me break it down for you. Uh, there are a lot of reusable menstrual products on the market uh, that will replace tampons or pads, which essentially is a single-use disposable item. A period panty is one of those reusable, <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this. Uh, a period panty is one of the reusable options. It's, ex it's right. essentially a pair of underwear with absorbency built in so that um, you but can- But when you clean it, how do you, is there a special chemical it comes with to clean it? No, no, you just wash it on its own in cold water and soap and um, it will clean. So the difference between that and a regular panty, and I have quote unquote panty, because I use that in my slang. I say panties when I want to be sarcastic and, you know, mocking. But so the difference is, is, is it has padding in it. Yeah. And even if blood gets in the panty or in the thing, it can be washed out. Right. Exactly. It can be washed out. And it's not gross to put it back on because it's clean. Right. Exactly. The, okay. the padding has specific absorbent layers. There's usually three layers so that, you know, there's nothing unhygienic or odorous about it. It's just like wearing a pair of underwear that you've recently washed. Okay, great. I like being a little bit informative. I have to tell you, Stephanie, this was so great. I feel better when I talk to somebody on the same page as me because I feel like I'm an alien sometimes around everyone else that says, okay, get over it enough. You have a life to live. This is taking up too much of your life. That's what I hear. It's taking up too much of your life. And I have to tell you that sometimes I just do feel like I have to throw in the towel. Like sometimes I look at stuff. I'm like, I don't know what to do. This should be, you know, I don't know. It's a toy and I don't, I don't know what it's made out of. So I don't know where to put it. And I just, I look, I stand there for five minutes and I just throw it in the garbage. Like, what am I going to do? And then I feel guilty about it for three hours. I got to get over it. Well, you can call me anytime and we can talk about our anxiety over stuff together. I'd love it. <laughs> I love that you diagnosed me. <laughs> Thank you for diagnosing me. I want a prescription from you. I okay. want a pill. Get me a pill. Okay. <laughs> it was so nice talking to you. Thank you for making the time for me. I can't wait to listen to more episodes. Thank you for having me. This was by far the most I've laughed all week. So it's thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. The Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, Stephanie Safarian. She's great. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you like what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.